I have an announcement. You want to hear it? Jesus, the Messiah, will return again. You know, you don't actually hear that often spoken about in church. We sort of preach more for the now, the satisfying of the needs of the now. But the early church, a prominent part of their gospel was that Jesus was raised back to life, but that he was going to return. And it was that that gave them courage. Um, it wasn't that he had died. It was that he was raised, was seated in heaven, and was coming again. Go with me to Mark, if you don't mind. Let's just pray while we're going there. Father, I just want to ask you to give me the words to speak, and that you would guide my tongue. And I also pray that you'd give us all ears, not only, to he- uh, not only ears to hear, but that we would actually hear. And we would hear with, with our hearts, not just with our, our heads today. Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 11. Verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Um, Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, "May, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Now, this wasn't a, a, a this was a quite a violent event for those of you who think that Jesus was a man that had an 80s-style haircut and a well-trimmed beard like one of the Bee Gees who would ride side saddle on a donkey with a perfectly clean white robe. This is different. This is not the Jesus we, we understand in his humanity. He, he turned over tables, made a whip, in some of the texts say, and he drove out animals, broke open cages, threw coins across floors, and forcefully moved the people out of the temple. That's passion. We need to change our view of Jesus, the side-saddled donkey rider with the face of a BG. <laughs> it's a good bedtime nursery rhyme for the kids. So he overturned the money tables of the money changers. And remember, when he was doing this, Jesus never stepped once out of love nor grace. So he turned over the tables, uh, verse 17. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written that my house will be called a a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. Now, I've heard people preach that against the church asking for the offering and the tithe. All they want is your money. That's why when you go there, they do the offering and the tithe. If if anyone has ever taught that, or you've heard someone teach that, it's a a complete misrepresentation of of Scripture. In actual fact, it's it's a heretical teaching. On money, let me just say this. I'm just going to take a little sidestep, and I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole. Ben, don't let me go down the rabbit hole, but at least let me just present something that has been on my heart for some time, and I've mentioned it before. We all earn money. We all need money to survive, unless you were a subsistence farmer. This is the house in which God has placed us. 
It is clear in Scripture that God would like for us, and in fact not would like, but actually instructs us, to bring forward our first fruits into this house for the support of this house running. That includes those who minister full-time to your needs. And when I mean they minister to your needs, they're not there at 2 o'clock in the morning for you to phone them when you want to have a chit-chat. But they minister first and foremost before God on your behalf. And they spend time ministering to you. The couple that are the senior um, leaders of the team, the, 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 the leadership team who lead this church, um, are the only couple that are full-time in ministry within this house. I want to say they are way, way underpaid for the amount of people they lead. There's probably, if you looked at the books and everyone was here, would have, let's say, I reckon 100 to 120 people. I work in a secular world as a project manager of a construction company, and I do not lead, in my team alone, I do not lead more than 20 people. I do not give them life decisions, and I do not take care of their personal needs as far as their emotions go and what they need. I do sometimes give advice, which I'm not required to do, but because as a born-again believer, I sometimes have an answer to a question they're asking, and God's asked me to do that, is to give good godly advice to them. But I can tell you that I probably get paid five times more than this couple who are leading more people than I am in life decisions. And that is a, is a, is a, is a sad reality of the, of the honor system that we the church have placed on those people that God's called us to lead. To be a pastor is the fifth most stressful job in the world. And pastors are the most underpaid people on the planet. We need to change that. Uh, if 100 people gave a minimum, let's say an average of $50 a week. Now, some of you might not be able to give that, but some of you can. I can give more than 50 because that's what my salary allows me to do. And that's what my heart has decided to do, more than what my salary allows me to do. My salary doesn't govern what I give. I govern what I give. Do you know what I'm saying? That's five. If, we, if on average we gave $50 a week per person, That'll be $5,000 that'll come in to run this facility and be able to pay for people who care for you to live and survive and to have a roof over their head and food on their tummies and yes, also, when required, to go and leave and rest and have a holiday without us ever questioning, how can you fly overseas and go and spend two weeks in a hotel somewhere? That's not for you. I mean, no one questions you on that. So we will never question them on that. Amen? I just wanted to put that out there because I really feel that I've, I've looked as I've traveled the world. I've seen the dishonor in this area in the life of the church. And God is not pleased with it. He isn't pleased. He wants us to all be taken care of and those who look after you and me. Amen? Okay, back to the message. I just felt to say that. I, honestly, I really, really feel that we have an opportunity to change things. A pastor should never come with cap in hand. It should never be that way. It never was in the scriptures, and it should never be that way now in Western society. Okay, so the chief priest, so now, I mean, it's weird just to go back into that message, but let's get through it. So he goes, the chief priest, from verse 18, the chief priest and the teacher of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. Isn't that just amazing? If somebody preaches truth 
and steps out in the ways of God in such a radical way that it's the religious people, the very church, wants to kill them in one way or the other. Today, no one's going to come to your house and put you to death. You're not going to be dragged outside and hung on a cross. But let me tell you something. You are put to death with the tongue and with the, the written word through Facebook and other platforms. So they were looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him. I love that. When we're scared of something, we want to get rid of it. You scare me, I can't control you, so I want to kill you. And this is the reason why. Because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. That's the reason. They were afraid of Jesus because they could not control him. And everybody was amazed at this man who was bringing a radical truth in his day. Let me tell you, if we as a church stand for radical truth, the, the, Christ, the Christian world of the Gold Coast will want to kill us. They'd want to see us shut down. Prayer meetings may be started against us. They'll tell their members never to visit, especially when the Spirit starts moving and signs and wonders start happening to catch the attention of the unsaved. This is what's going to happen. We're not going to be popular with, with, with Christians, but we will be popular with the unsaved who are desperately seeking God. Thank you. Now you're right. Ben, good, good sermon, buddy. Th- thanks for your notes. I've actually got Ben's book here. <laughs> when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I say to you, if anyone says to this, to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you do, sorry, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. That's just right there. I fail. Okay? I'm sure many of you, if you're honest, you probably also fail. So that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, I want to focus on that particular text. I want to focus on on one section in particular. But in order to say that, I want to speak about the tree as well. We we look at the tree as as, as withering, and you almost think, why did Jesus, who, who, who was the creator, and, and this tree was his creation, he curses a tree because there's no fruit in it. The, the, the issue with the tree is simply this, is that when a tree, a fig tree, so I, I, this, when, when I see texts like that, that it stirs me to, to try and think what's going on here. So I studied up about a fig tree that, that's particularly based in the Middle East. And two things happen to that tree. In winter, it has no leaves. When it has leaves, the leaves first come out at the beginning of spring. Once the leaves are out, it's a sure sign that the next phase is that it will begin to produce the fruit, the actual fig itself, which is then harvested and eaten. If a fig tree has leaves, it should have fruit. Because it says here, it was not yet the season. Because it was not the season for figs. If it was not the season for figs, why did the tree have leaves? What Jesus was showing is that this tree was portraying a fal- it was falsely portraying that it was fruitful which ties into the Jewish system of its day, which portrayed itself to be fruitful, yet when people came to eat of it, there was no substance or sustenance from that 
religion, effectively. Jesus goes on to call those people whitewashed tombs, which is quite a offensive. It's very offensive. What he's saying is you are actually a grave that's been painted like a house so that people come in you to find shelter. And when they come in to find shelter and food, because in the Jewish culture, you would invite a stranger or a person into your home to come and eat with you and to find shelter. But when they actually come in, it's full of dead men's bones. Now, in the Jewish context, if you touched bones, it made you unclean. And he calls the religious leaders of, the, of their day whitewashed tombs. You draw people into your life, but when they touch your life, they actually become unclean, not clean. And the tree is the exact same picture. Jesus is cursing a system under which Israel had been falsely living, which was not in line with Yahweh, Yeshua's ways, God's ways. He then goes into the temple court, and he sees them selling their belongings, and he then becomes quite angry about it. And let me tell you, anger is not a sin. In your anger, do not sin. Does God get angry? Yes. Does Jesus get angry? We see it clearly in Scripture. Can we get angry at the injustice? Yes. But in your anger, do not enter into sin. Control it. There's a righteous anger which stands against the injustice against mankind, against the ways of God. Effectively, it's an anger against the things of the enemy. So Jesus goes in and then he, he turns over these tables and he quotes a scripture, which I'm going to take you into that text if we can. He says this, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? So if we go into that text in which he's quoting out of, it's Isaiah 56. And this is a, this is a rabbinical way of teaching called Ramez. Sorry, yeah, let me just get that there. Um, find the correct one. I'm going to go back further. Okay, so from the beginning of 56, he starts quoting, he quotes a text, which is, my, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. What that does in rabbinical teaching is, remember, these people understood the word more than we ever do. They, they were taught from little kids how to quote the Torah word for word. So when he quotes this scripture, he's pretty much taking them through this teaching style called Ramez, is he takes them into the Old Testament text, and they would understand the preceding verses and the, and, and, and the rest of the verses. They would understand all of those verses in one context, which is this, from verse 1 of 56, uh, chapter 56 of Isaiah. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast and who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeping their hands from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. I'm only a dry tree. Sorry, sorry. Let, let the Lord not exclude from his people. And let not the eunuch complain, saying, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. Who, remember, Jesus is the Sabbath. The, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, and who hold fast to my covenant. 
To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Verse 6. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servant, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, to the temple, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord, who gathers the exiles of Israel, says this, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Let me explain to you what was happening here. In the Jewish way, if you were not a Jew, you were unclean and you were not allowed to enter into the temple into corporate worship with the rest of the Israelites, the Jews. As a foreigner, you were allowed to come into the outer courts and to bar from the priests an offering for your sin and have it offered on the altar. But you could not go any further into worshiping God. And Jesus is actually rebuking them by saying to them, did not God say that the foreigners and the eunuchs, if you were a eunuch, you were classed as unclean, you could not enter into the temple. If you had an issue with blood, so you had your monthly cycle for women, you could not come into the temple. If you were a, a, a leper, you could not come into the temple. If you were a cripple, you could not come into the temple. But they were using the temple for business purposes. Come, you can come and buy from us. But no, you can't enter in to worship God. And Jesus rebukes him saying, did God not say that to the foreigner, to the eunuch, that if you come in and you hold to my covenant, which we have now with Jesus, that you will be allowed to enter fully into my presence. He then goes out and he speaks about the mountain the next day. He says, if you say to this mountain, if you tell this mountain, sorry, not if you say to it, if you tell this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and, it, and, you, and you do not doubt. You have no doubt in your heart, but you believe what you say. It will happen. Now, this is, the, this is the context, and this is the scripture that I want to focus on, this portion of it, is the, 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 the temple itself, the temple, of God, the, the temple in which they worshipped, was on the temple mount. It was a, a mount in Jerusalem, and it was on the top of this mountain. The sea in Jewish understanding, is the Gentile nations, those who are not Jewish. And what he's saying, if you tell this mountain, go from here into the sea, it will be done. He's speaking to his disciples who are called apostles, the sent out ones. This is an apostolic commission of Jesus to his disciples to move beyond their current culture and into a foreign culture to present the gospel of Jesus to them. So, in this day and age, it's not dissimilar to those days. Because what we do is we create this. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. So, before all the wild-eyed evangelists go, you see, I'm right. I'm, I, why do we meet in, the, in, in a facility? We should be out there in the streets. Well, let me tell you, you've got seven, six other days to do that on. And you get two hours to come and sit with your brothers and sisters and worship God and sit under the instruction of the Word. And it's so clear in Scripture that that's exactly what we do. They did it throughout the Scriptures. They gathered together on a specific day 
not only on that specific day, but there was a set-aside day where the whole community came together to worship corporately. That's what we do on a Sunday. But what, what's happened is we can no longer expect to create stuff and then invite the unsaved to our stuff and expect them to come to us. We have to actually go. We have to go whether you're a pastorally gifted person. We have to go whether you're apostolically gifted, whether you're evangelistically gifted, which is a lot easier, um, whether you are a teacher gifted person. It doesn't matter. You, 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 we have to go. How do we go? There's multiple forms in how we go. My understanding in this day and age is it's not going to be through. And let me read, actually, let me read a quote. A guy by the name of Gabe Leon sat with, sat with Billy Graham um, and had a chat with him. Well, I mean, Billy has finished his ministry. He, he's he's in, he, um, in his old age. Uh, Gabe Leon sits with him and he says to him, what do we need to be doing? And Billy, who was a great tent crusader, who stood in stadiums ministering to thousands upon thousands, and in his lifetime, multiple millions of people have probably been born again through him preaching, right? He says this, that the time is past for tent meetings and for large conferences and big crusades. Something has to change. We need to go back to sending individual people into community, into the, into the community. So the model of Jesus is the model that we need to do. Jesus engaged society in its brokenness. He engaged society in its waywardness. And he did not succumb. He embraced the culture without succumbing to the culture in order to change the culture. That's what we as a church have to do. See, what the church world has done in the West predominantly over the last 20, 30 years is it's, it's built up a distaste for the worldly culture to the point that it's created a divide between us and the, and the culture of the world. Rather than embracing, Jesus had no issue with embracing the culture of his day without succumbing to the culture of his day. And therefore, as a church, we do not become culturally relevant by bowing our knee to the culture. But we step into the culture to bring people out of the culture into a kingdom culture. You know, if we, if we understand the story of God, it does not, it does not start, in, and I've said this before, it does not start in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Predominantly in evangelical circles, which we are a part of, evangelical circles. That means you're pre- predominantly your your Baptist, Presbyterian, your Charismatic, your Pentecostal. We all fall into that. We are evangelical. We have predominantly predominantly started the God story at Genesis chapter three, man sinned, and therefore the whole thread of the Bible points to one event: that Jesus comes to rescue you from hell. And our sermons are around that. And our messages and our gospel is formed around that. Show people that they are sinners so that we can then get them saved. But the story of God started in Genesis chapter 1 where everything God created was perfect. Man was placed in authority over the planet and handed it back. And Jesus comes in in Luke 19 verse 10. It says that he came to seek and to save. And most of your Bibles will say to seek and to save the lost. And that is incorrect. He did not come to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Which was what? Man's original position with God in perfection as authority figures over the planet in which God had given into our hands to govern over. That 
changes the way we see things. It changes the way we minister. Because we no longer minister to get people to get out of hell into heaven, but we minister to bring the kingdom of heaven into the lives of people and get them to realize that there is a superior king who shall return, as I said in the beginning. The message is this, Jesus is king and he shall return. And you have a choice. To bow your knee to the king of your own life, which is actually ruled by Satan, or to bow your knee to the king of kings, who one day will return when none of us know, but you better make sure that when he returns, you're one of his subjects. It's not about what people are doing. Wrong. It's about the fact that they do not accept Jesus Christ as king. (laughs) It's not about behavior. When people live in a kingdom that is good for long enough, Their behavior will naturally change for the simple reason that when they enter into that kingdom, there is only one way in which they can. And that's through the king of glory taking the nature of sin, which causes them to live outside of his ways, out of them, which means they now have an opportunity to make a decision for what is right, whereas in the past they could not. Our gospel is not to proclaim people getting saved. Our gospel is to proclaim the King Jesus. And part of that is that you have an opportunity to be born again into that kingdom, into that life, into the resurrected life. Salvation is not fire insurance. It is a new life completely. That is our message. Now, we start by living that ourselves. I'm a man that knows my faults better than anyone else. But day by day, as I embrace the way of the Spirit, God will naturally change me. In actual fact, He's already changed me. He changed me when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. How I outwork that is obedience to Him. So we do not advocate, and Paul had this issue, hence he actually answers it in his own letters. Do you mean that we can just continue living how we want to? And Paul's response is not, no, you can't, because now you need to make sure that you live correct. That's not his response. His response is, no, because don't you realize that Jesus has removed that nature from you? So because you are dead to sin, how can you live in it any longer? But that's not my sermon today. My sermon is about us going, getting beyond us. Now, I'm a person who has issues with people. I don't generally like people. Because people have hurt me. So the sermon I'm preaching today, and as I prepared it, and as I went through my notes, and as I reread it, God was convicting me of the fact that I also have to be changed. I also have to allow healing in my own heart. And so my sermon is for us. It's not Brad preaching at you. It's Brad preaching at us, the community, giving us a sermon from God. People have hurt me by being disrespectful to me and to my family. They have people who class themselves as friends, Uh, left us in in terrible states. And quite frankly, being a leader of a church, you sometimes are grossly abused by people who you have given your life to serve. Now, I've got to learn to be healed of that so that I can walk in the fullness of God's purposes. My encouragement to you is, why don't you join me on a journey where we actually walk that out? Because at the end of the day, can I tell you something? I'll be open and honest with you. I would rather spend time with unsaved people than I will with Christians because unsaved people don't want anything from me. They just embrace me for who I am. But Christians want me to be somebody that is safe for them within their box. And I don't want to be that. I want to be a free son of God serving Him. But I really want to reach unsaved people. And in order to do that, I've got to get over my issue with people. (laughs) 
I'd rather sit out there by myself than be around people. Because that's just naturally who I am. I have been like that since I was young. But it's not what God's called me to do. He's called me to spend time with people so that I rub off on them. Because hopefully I have the Holy Spirit on me and in me. And we rub off on people. They want what we have because we have something that is far better than what they have. Even though it's hard for us to explain. Somehow when we're with them, they pick it up. Because the Holy Spirit is moving in and through us and out and touching them. And some, for some reason, they get drawn to these idiots who don't have an answer for everything we say or live. The message of, of the temple where uh, Ezekiel sees the, the temple and he sees the water flowing out. I've heard people go, you know, the further away, you know, we have to leave the four walls of the church because that's not what he's saying. What he was picturing is exactly what Jesus saw is that the temple, for some reason, had kept people out and it kept the spirit out. And the further and further away from that religious system we went, the more the spirit was free to move. But ultimately, God wants the spirit to not be seeping out from under the threshold of the temple but he wants the temple to be so filled that the doors and the windows burst open with this gush of water. You see how we sometimes just misinterpret Scripture by our hurt. I've been hurt by the church. The Spirit moves further away. No, hang on a minute. Deal with your hurt. Interpret Scripture correctly. As we live in, in the regeneration of resurrected life as born-again Christians. And if you're here today and, you, and, you, and you're not born again, this doesn't apply to you. You are not regenerated into true life. Now that's, that's bad, and God wants to change that now. And we'll give an opportunity for you to, to enter in. For those of you who are not saved, if you have never entered into this before, if, you've, if, you, if you're here for the first time, and I don't know you, so I'm not sure. I, um, maybe there's one person. Maybe there's none. When I came to God, I didn't know all the answers. Neither will you. The first part of the journey is taking the first step into accepting the king. And the moment you take that step, God by his spirit, because I can't bring revelation to you. No one can bring revelation to you. It is only the Holy Spirit that can. And it's only when the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you that the revelation can begin to stir in your hearts. And the only way the Holy Spirit can come and dwell inside of you is if you allow Jesus to regenerate you. And it's not through saying a sinner's prayer. That's not going to save you. What's going to save you is your acceptance of Him as King and Lord and Savior. Repeating after me is not going to help you. Believing in your heart and then confessing with your mouth. You know, in, in uh, a little story, in Dubai, um, we just, when the Holy Spirit began to move on our church and we were just, we were, we'd, I don't understand why. None of us know why. For whatever reason, he chose well of life to breathe upon. And spectacular things happened. I mean, signs, wonders, miracles, people getting healed of diseases that were the doctors were saying it's impossible it can't happen people getting raised from the dead well one person that we know of got raised from the dead cancers being cured people with blind eyes deaf ears being opened crippled people walking this is what was going on demons coming out of people this is just a normal home group 
and a prayer meeting. We had to carry people out of our prayer meeting. We actually were not allowed to meet publicly. We met in a friend's home, closed the curtains. He lived in a very large house. We could fit about 150 people in his living room, dining room sort of area. People would sit up the stairs and on the balcony at the top, and some people were even standing in the kitchen. And angels would appear, and people would be carried out. We'd have to wait for them to come through before they could drive home. One of the people, we actually had to drive her home and drop her home because she, could, she just couldn't maintain driving. It's the presence of God. We were driving our vehicles down the road, talking about God on the way to the shop, and, and you literally became so intoxicated by His presence that you pulled over to the side of the road and sat there, completely overwhelmed, shaking in your car, not able to drive, without anyone laying hands on you or anything. I used to suffer from migraines. Seriously, I suffered from migraines that nothing could help except large amounts of medication, which really just made me more drugged up, and then spending at least two days in a, um, in a dark room. And the one day I'm on my way to a meeting, to a home group meeting, and I'm, I'm going to be teaching at it, and this migraine just starts coming on in my head. Just, I mean, to the point where I, I literally thought, I'm just going to turn around, I'm feeling nauseous from the pain. And I'm at this traffic light, and I'm holding on the steering wheel, and I just said, I'm just going to turn on the road, I'll text them, I'm sure they'll understand. And I, I just said, God... You have to heal me of this. This has to go. And I promise you, I felt fire come in my body. I began to shake in the car so uncontrollably, backwards and forwards, that it looked like I was to someone that I was having a seizure. And instantly that headache left. And from that day, which was probably more than, I'd say probably over 10 years ago, I have never suffered from migraines ever again. There was no one with me. This happened in the vehicle by myself. This was happening on a regular basis. This young Muslim man from Iran who had snuck out of Iran so he didn't have to fight in the army through Iraq, lived in Jordan, had then come to our church and found us by himself. And I was preaching that day and I was preaching the gospel and I was talking about what Jesus did on the cross for us. So he came to the right meeting. After the meeting, he walks up to me and he, he grabs me. And, and most, of, most of your Arab nation people who live there, they can be quite frightening when they grab you and say, I need to talk to you now. And you can see that clearly this guy's got an Arab uh, accent. So I got a bit, a, a bit of a fright. I said, okay, just hold on a minute. Let me call two friends. So I got two, two friends. One was, one was Barsi Solomon and the other one was a friend of mine called Tracy. Um, that cowboy, he's a cowboy, like a real Texan guy. You know, he wears the Stetson hat and the boots and his little metal thing with the two strings. That's how, all the time he dresses like that. And he works for an oil company. So this is the perfect bloke, you know? So I get him, and I, we sit this guy down, and we say, what do you want to talk about? And he's sitting there opposite us, with the three of us are here, and he's there, and he says this, I came here today because I was wandering around looking for something. I've just moved to the city, and I saw there was a sign that said community on it. So he says, well of life, community. So he decides, I'm going to go look inside there. 700 people sitting in there. And he listens to the sermon. He goes, when you were talking, and he's pointing at me, you were saying about this man Jesus that died on the cross, that he was raised back to life, and he's taken away this uh, dirt in my life, and he's gone back into heaven, and he's, he's up in heaven now, still alive, and that one day he's coming back again. He says, I believe that. What must I do to get saved? And I said, you just got saved right now. You, you literally just got saved. And he goes, okay, what must I do next? And I said, receive the Holy Spirit. He goes, what's that? 
So now we explain the Holy Spirit to him. And he goes, I want that right now. So we lay hands on him. And he starts to shake a little bit and goes, I feel this sensation inside of me. There's actually this, he goes, I feel happy, like an excitement, like a joy that I don't know how to describe. I said, it's called in the Bible an inexpressible joy. He goes, I want to feel like this every day. So we said, I think you've just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, what now? He said, you need to be baptized in water. He said, okay, what is baptism in water? We explained that to him. Right now, let's go. We drove him to the Arabian Gulf, baptized him in the, in the Arabian Gulf. Just the three of us. Bang, bang, out he came. The next week, the next week, he brought two more Muslim friends with him to church. After church, he grabs me. I wasn't preaching that week, but he grabs me and he says, Bradley, and he joined my home group, this guy. He goes, Bradley, these are my two friends. I told them what happened to me. They want that feeling that you gave to me when you put your hands on me. So I said, are you born again? They go, no, no, we're Muslim. So I said to him, that's fine. And, and then I just laid my hands. The one guy hit the floor, bang, shaking around. The next guy hit the floor, bang, shaking around. These are unregenerated, unsaved Muslims getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Both got saved. This is what happens. When we walk in the resurrected life, when we walk in the regeneration of Jesus, conscious of Him, not conscious of our failings. Because let me tell you, I've always had failings. They're always there. Some of them are being fixed. Some of them have been fixed and some will be fixed. But we had a revelation. The fact that God had called us beyond the status quo of Western churchianity into a regenerated life where we could go out and touch people. A Muslim work colleague was so violently sick that he, he was out of work for two days, came to work with a blanket wrapped around him, very, very ill, and I said to him, his name's Safe. I'm still friends today on Facebook, and I'll tell you the, I'll, I'll tell you the story about him. He's an Arabic, uh, Arabic uh, Muslim from Iraq who was working in the same company as me as I was a project manager, and he was one of my site uh, engineers. So he was in the same office as me. He's shaking like this in the office with his blanket on. I said, he's not even working. I said, Saif, what, what, what are you doing here? He goes, I fainted at home one day, yesterday, because I've been off sick. I went to the doctors. They said, I've got some sort of fever. I, I, I don't want to faint. If I faint at home and I knock my head, I'm in trouble. So I, I, he doesn't live with anyone. I want to be here because at least someone can keep an eye on me. So maybe I can just sit in the office at the desk. I said to him, that's fine. Carried on working. I went, no, that's not fine. Safe, can I pray for you? He goes, anything that will help. I said, now, you know I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus because he knew I was a Christian. He goes, whatever you think will help, Brad. I laid my hands. I said, in the name of Jesus, safe, I declare healing into your body right now. That's what I said. And I went back and sat down. And he's like, thank you. He falls asleep completely for like maybe an hour, hour and a half. Then he wakes up. While I'm still working, he wakes up. And he gets up and he walks around, he goes to the toilet, comes back with a glass of water, sits down there, turns on the computer and starts working. I said, how are you doing? He goes, I'm fine. Completely fine. Just n nothing wrong. Not a single thing wrong with this young guy. I said, Jesus just healed you. He goes, it seems so. He ended up marrying a Russian girl who was a Christian and they both now live in the United States of America. They've got two kids and he attends church with her. Why? Because he stepped into my office. And who was sitting in my office? Just some bloke called Brad who had the Holy Spirit living in him and decided to step out. I believe if we see Jesus doing it, we commission to do it.
Now, I haven't laid my hands on a sick person to pray for them for a long time, probably two years, coming on two years. But that's my own issue that I've got to deal with. I will deal with it. We will see people healed. We will see people regenerated. We will see people restored. See, part of the gospel is not just us telling people that they need to be born again. Part of the gospel is that Jesus models the kingdom of heaven coming because the gospel is not about getting people saved. The gospel is about the proclamation of a king who has a kingdom. And part of that is people getting saved. But if the gospel is about a king who has a kingdom, then when we present the gospel, we should be presenting what the justice system of that kingdom looks like, which is this, no sickness, no disease, no oppression, no fear, no anxieties, no depression, no physical ailments, no cancers, no mental issues. None of that stuff exists in the kingdom. But when I'm preaching only to get people saved from hell, then I'm not presenting the full gospel. I'm presenting a part of it. But I want to present, and I want us as a church to present the whole gospel of Jesus in his entirety, he was, he came, he modeled, he died to bring you into the kingdom. He was raised to establish the kingdom. He was seated on the throne to rule over the kingdom. And he'll return again one day to completely consummate the age into his kingdom. That's the gospel from beginning to end. And that includes an unsaved person coming in, yes. But it also includes every sick person being healed. Every person with mental issues being made well. So two things today. One, in closing, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to urge you to put aside your fear of man, to put aside your skepticism, because I was very skeptical, even to the point of putting my hand up. I still did not believe what I was doing. But thank, I thank God that I, was, I put my hand up. Because the questions that I had were answered only after I did that. And putting my hand up was actually an admission. It wasn't, I didn't repeat a sinner's prayer. I put my hand up in admission to the fact that Jesus is the king of kings who I've just heard preached about. Get saved today. And two, if you need healing of any sort, be it physical or emotional or mental or spiritual or whatever, people will come and pray for you. And maybe rather than us getting people up the front, which is the traditional way of doing it, let's have you raise your hands for any prayer right now. If you need, to be, if you need healing from anything, freedom, or you need to be born again, I want you to raise your hands alike. And the people around you, when they come to pray, so get at least three to four people around a person with a hand raised. Ask them. Now, you need to be brave enough to tell them what the issue is. Tell them the issue because they're gonna, they must declare that thing gone if it's a sickness. If it's, an, if, it's, if it's mental, just say, look, it's a mental issue. I struggle with uh, anxiety. Bang. It's simple as that. There's no shame. This is the house of God and there's no shame. If, it needs, if you need to be born again, I want you to say to them, I don't know Jesus and I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. Tell the people that are with you so they know best how to minister to you. Amen? So let's do that in closing. If you, if you need any of the things that I've just named now, I want you to raise your hands. Be brave. Be bold. Don't walk out of here unregenerated. Okay. Everyone in this church, when you see someone with their hand raised, I want you to go and pray for them. At least three or more people around them. When someone is with you praying, as soon as they arrive, you can put your hand down, okay? Church, let's activate now to do that.
Maybe you can put a bit of worship music on in the background, or Brenda, you feel like you want to play the guitar and, and minister through worship. Go ahead and do that.